fucking shit. We gotta talk about a fucking rom-com that we didn't like right about now. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromantic the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What's up, everyone? Watch rom-coms, and then record our thoughts and post them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners' listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing on this Sunday evening? Well, we're ten days into a new year, and I'm still here. So, I'll take it! Hey! <laughs> We'll take it, despite, you know, the attempts of dumb idiots. Um, despite a lot of people's best efforts to uh, fuck up this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The I think the best part of that whole thing is watching the fallout currently occur on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing some of those people who took photos now taking mugshots. God, yeah, that's so true. Like the mugshot of the guy who was holding the podium. Yeah. Uh, and then also, there uh, there was a video going around of someone uh, like crying slash whining, yelling in a terminal that he wasn't allowed to fly because of investigation. So he was on a no-fly list. And, like, <laughs> and he was yelling... You know, they all they keep doing this to us. Say them a terrorist or say we're terrorists. Da, 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 da. And he's just like screaming, wow. crying, like on the verge of tears. And, and now uh, you know how it feels. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, who are the comeuppance? <laughs> just, yeah. Whoo. So Oh um, my god. I, you know, I was thinking about this. Actually, this morning, I was walking through the park in my morning walk, trying to get a little fresh air and sanity to start the day. Of course. And and I'm sitting there thinking about recording, and I'm thinking about listening back to our previous episodes sometime down in the future. And I'm just imagining, like, going back through, well, 2020's episodes to begin with are going to be a trip. But then just, like, going back and progressively seeing, like, just the progression of all the shit that happened with each week's episode. Cause we mentioned something in every episode yep. of current events. It's like, okay, now we've gotten to that point where the first episode of the new year uh, features an insurrection. So that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe we should just start naming set. episodes after the current events that are happening. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, the, the news outlets and columnists couldn't help but cover that one to the brim, huh? Yeah. Speaking of, we watched Runaway Bride, starring a story about a columnist who writes about a random ass bride in Maryland <laughs> who likes to run away from the grooms. And if you couldn't have guessed it, it's it's exactly what the title is. Funny enough, yeah. Like, I mean... yeah. 
I, you know, let's just go straight into the stats of the movie, and maybe Wikipedia can explain the plot better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's do that because that's the best. Yeah, best chance we got. Runaway Bride is a 1999 American romantic comedy film directed by Gary Marshall, the fourth and hopefully final one we ever review, and the third in a row, which is definitely too many. Yeah, way too many. Um, a film directed by Gary Marshall and starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. The screenplay was written by Sarah Perriott and Josanne McGibbon. Boo to the both of you. Um, it also has starring Joan Cusack, Hector Elizondo, Rita Wilson. Oh, that that's the ex-wife, Rita Wilson. That's, oh yeah, she looks familiar. Yeah, uh, and Paul Dooley, who I'm assuming is the father. Probably, I would have put Stephen Merloni there as well. Shout out to Stabler. <laughs> that's his name, a lot order. Yeah. <laughs> um. The movie is a whole ass 116 minutes. Yeah. 116 minutes. Whole ass 116 minutes. And not a single one of them is necessary. Uh, 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 And the budget of the film was $70 million. Holy shit. Really? They spent $70 million on What the this. hell did you they spend $70 million on? Just I Julia mean, Roberts and Richard York, Gere? So if you film in New York, you're immediately up into the $25 million range if you're a big budget film. True. Okay. And then on top of that, all the actors that they got. And I mean, and then also the green screen they had to pay for at the <laughs> end when they're on the balcony. Uh, <laughs> the box office for the film. I told you it yesterday when we watched the film. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I'm i not even going to grace it with saying it again today. Three, because you don't it, remember it? No, 300 something. $309.4 million. Jesus. So despite spending $70 million, they still made four times their fucking budget on this film because it was That's... following Pretty Woman. It was the second Why? film. What are these two? What memo are we missing now in retrospect? Like, why? Okay, whatever. Continue. I mean, we talked about how Pretty Woman has like iconic scenes, and as I mentioned in my when I in my verdict, that you can go to YouTube, find the highlights of that film, and it's a pretty good five to ten minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you save the two hours. This one doesn't even have iconic moments. Oh, but they tried, and we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So the plot, as as explained by Wikipedia, uh, Maggie Carpenter is a spirited and attractive young woman who has had a number of unsuccessful relationships. Maggie, nervous about being married, has left a trail of fiancés waiting at, for her at the altar on their wedding day. All of these were caught on tape, earning Maggie tabloid fame and the dubious nickname The Runaway Bride. Yeah. Meanwhile, in New York, columnist Homer Eisenhower Graham, or Ike. The fuck kind of name about, is that? Uh, that sounds just like old New York money. <laughs> yeah, it does actually sound like that. It, it just yeah. sounds like you're trying a little too hard to be like that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
He writes an article about her that contains several factual errors supplied to him by a man he meets in a bar, who Ike later learns was one of Maggie's former fiancés. The third out of three. Well, actually, technically the fourth out of four. And I said Steven, I keep saying Steven Merloni, it's Christopher Merloni. Or Christopher Maloney, sorry. <laughs> Christopher Maloney is Stabler in Law and Order. He's Bob uh, Kelly, okay. the fourth room to be. God. Anyway. So she gets she gets married a bunch of fucking times. She runs away on every single fucking one of them, including Richard Gere, which I don't understand why they even fucking get married in the, uh, like that. Uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a score for this film. And I remember the percentage. I forget out of how many. Okay. So out of 50, or 87 reviews, what is the Rotten Tomatoes percentage? 30%. It is 46%. Jesus, that's way too high. <laughs> I agree. Way too high. Uh, David Anson of Newsweek wrote, Why does Runaway Bride feel so off? Why does it produce such half-hearted laughter? This is the sort of Hollywood tale in which everything seems to have been decided by committee. Hmm. Uh, Neil or Nell, excuse me, Nell Minow of Common Sense Media. She writes, "Cute romantic comedy, okay for most older kids." <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I just think some of the words that choose for Rotten Tomatoes are the funniest shit. Oh um, God, yeah. Todd McCarthy gave it a positive review, saying, "Quite clever and appealing." That's all they have for the blurb. Really? That's your positive yeah. review? Quite clever yeah. and... What was it appealing? I already forgot. That's how fucking yeah. pointless your review is. And Jay Boyar of the Orlando Sentinel wrote, Joan Cusack practically steals the show. Well, that goes without saying. Which is true, but at the same time, a, a very odd blurb. Then I look at the, t- the years for these... January 1st, 2000, January 1st, 2000. So my guess is that when this movie came out on DVD and there were like the little blurbs on the back of like, mm-hmm. you know, when they're like stunning, you know, four stars, like, you know, when they would do that in movie trailers or like yep. movie reviews. Yep. God, I'm guessing that Rod Tomatoes straight up took those two off of the fucking back of the DVD and called them reviews. Probably. Because they couldn't find them elsewhere. Because nobody fucking cares about this movie. Well, also came out in the late 90s and Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist at the time. But, you know, you're you're fake. (laughs) So. Let's talk about, before we get into the movie itself. What have we learned about Gary Marshall rom-coms? They suck. (laughs) Besides that. They're pointless. They have absolutely no fucking premise worthwhile. That's what we've learned. 
I. They all contain very boring and forgettable f- male leads. Or Richard Gere. <laughs> One and the same. <clears throat> I, I think, like, the thing that at least Valentine's Day had was that it's a holiday centered around love. So the premise is, let's watch these love stories on a you know love-filled day. That one at least made a little bit of sense. Good point. Yeah, that actually is very fitting for the holiday. You're right. Yes. New Year's Eve was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and yeah. we properly took it to the shops for that. Because it was... It's trying to build of, on a formula. Yeah, it was... They're trying to tell stories of New Year's Eve as opposed as opposed to romance, but at the same time, you're just thinking to yourself, who who cares about these stories of people on New Year's exactly. Eve? Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's there's no connective tissue here. At least with like Valentine's Day, there's a there's a love aspect to it. Yeah, you want to know more about the day. You want to hear these stories. Whereas, yeah, New Year's Eve, I don't want to hear about them. New Year's Eve is yeah. fucking stressful as fuck. I got enough energy focused just on what I'm doing for New Year's Eve. I don't have time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, and also, it didn't help that all the stories were like not even half baked; they were quarter baked. Um, yeah, and there wasn't a single one of them that had a romance worth you know investing in. You know. Yeah, and then with Pretty Woman, the there's the whole. I mean the like him picking up a hooker and keeping her around it 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 makes sense because rich guys do that like guys that are that rich especially ones who are emotionally vulnerable and lonely which he was after the breakup that he has with his other girl mm-hmm. but Pretty Woman introduces something that they really ask us to do with Runaway Bride, which is something that I noticed is that you're asked as an audience member and viewer of this movie to fill in the blanks. Mm. They don't tell you why this relationship matters or why they even like each other. They just assume you'll fill in the blanks when these two just have a look at each other. So Gary Marshall will just show them kind of look longingly or lovingly at each other, just doing something simple like, oh, look, you know, Julia Roberts is and is telling me about, you know, this tool she uses on a car like she didn't actually do that in the movie. But like, you know, oh, look, she's using a wrench. And then Richard Gere, as Ike just looks at her, just like stunned and absolutely enthralled by everything about her. And you as an audience member are supposed to be like, Oh my God, look, they're falling in love. Now I care. Now I'm falling in love with them. And it's just like, yeah, I don't, you're going to have to do more than that. <laughs> like, like I'm not <laughs> just based on a look. I'm not, I can't jump to conclusions like that as an audience member. You're, you're totally right. They, they do all showing and no telling. And like yeah. we've talked about that in the past where like it, you got to have that balance because we've we've covered movies that are all telling and no showing. So it's like it's hard to get invested in those, too. Yes. But like when you're when you're telling a story, but you're only showing the story to tell it. 
and then expecting us to imprint, you know, the, the audience's personal, you know, personality on the movie in order to fill in the blanks. I feel like that, that kind of formula only works if like the details of the relationship are, or the details of the characters are kept a little more vague and the relationship is what you focus on. You focus on the experience of the relationship, the, the more broad thematic elements of the relationship that can apply to a broader scope of an audience. You mm -hmm. don't focus on these weirdly fucking specific premises and like buildups to a relationship or these weirdly specific character archetypes, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. and then, and then expect us to like invest in them and be like, Oh yeah, I'm totally invested in this character in this other character. I, and now I'm invested in them getting together. I don't fucking care. He's a rich billionaire who's got first world problems. Cause he fell in love with a hooker. Like, okay. And then runaway bride is like, you wrote an article about someone in a small Maryland town and now you hate each other, but you love each other. That, what is that? That doesn't happen. None of this is like common general public stuff. And I don't know if we missed a memo from the nineties or what with rom-coms, but like the premises are all off. It's weird. It's way too specific. There's my So rant. I'm, looking something up right now uh yeah so let me see okay yeah in 2005 okay this was a little more This is a little more. What do you got? It was also after the movie, but in 2005, there is a woman, uh, her name, Jennifer Wilbanks, who sparked a police hunt and a media frenzy in 2005 when she lied about being abducted to escape her wedding day. Holy shit. Really? And this is real. Like this really happened. This is real. And they called her the runaway bride and she got media coverage, including on today. And so here's the thing though. That was six years after this movie. Jesus. So it wasn't like this movie was based on some story that was oh, like, seen okay. something that was done beforehand. Because yeah, I knew that would have made sense. Yeah, exactly. That would have made sense. And I knew in the back of my mind that there was media coverage for a Runaway Bride. I just didn't remember what year, so I had to just look it up right then because I just remembered, and it was in two thousand five. When that happened. So, so, yeah. So, this movie has no excuse. Like, so, yeah. This movie has no excuse for the outlandish shit it does. Like, how lacking is there in, like, topics to talk about at this time that, that a columnist would choose to write about this, think that it's a good idea, and that people would want to read it <laughs> or... Or, like, want to, you know, just give a shit about it. <laughs> like, I just... Yeah. that That's the first mistake here, is, like, I, as an audience member, don't believe you and don't give a shit. And I have to spend two hours here? Exactly. It's it, The believability has to be balanced with the effort required to watch it. You know, like, 
if you're going to make some outlandish premise and outlandish characters or outlandish situation or something, that's fine. If you balance it out with, you know, like a, a storyline or a, a group of characters that I actually want to be involved with, you know, then you're, yeah. what is that called? The um, suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. you know, it's got to be proportional you're willing to suspend your disbelief much more so if you're much more emotionally invested in the movie or the story. But if I'm neither invested in it nor believing in it, why am I wasting my time with it? Now, we've watched movies with some incredibly odd premises. And it seems like a majority of them are from the 90s. (laughs) Although... (laughs) <laughs> like although i mean there's know, always there's exceptions to both sides of course yeah. but like the running yeah. theme does seem to be like leaning towards the 90s movies you're right yeah but the thing is some of those premises we can roll with and some of them they, they, they like the movies never recovered from them for instance how to lose a guy in 10 days that is a convoluted premise. It's an <laughs> like, awful that premise. Is, yeah, like he, this guy's doing it for work because he wants to market high, high price, expensive jewelry, while she's doing this for a column. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, which seemed to be like the go-to for any '90s and 2000s movie was like, oh, a column. They they have they got to write something. Yeah, you're right. Like everyone was a fucking columnist or journalist or reporter or something. Yeah, and you know, and then they meet each other and they try to trick each other, and that becomes the movie of just watching Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey do shit. But then Kate, Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey legitimately do funny shit like There's actual, that, yeah they build an actual relationship and romance there throughout the movie yeah, like, like we they show us a real romance worth investing our time in as an audience like the scene at the knicks game like this just that's a funny premise where it's just like i'm taking to a finals game but then i'm gonna act up at the absolute worst time to try to get this guy to dump me you know and and like and she does all that sort of stuff like so that scene in and of itself sets stakes and it all you know and it makes sense for developing the relationship further and everything else like that i don't remember a scene that like was that developed no. or that in depth because no. there wasn't runaway bride there wasn't one yeah well, I it feel was just like- I feel like a lot of the movies we've watched from the nineties, especially, especially like runaway bride, especially the ones recently, they have, they have premises that like just aren't believable. And it seems like they rely on obviously not storytelling because they don't tell us a real story. They, like you said, that we have to fill in the gaps. So what's mm-hmm. really left the characters. It's always like two huge names and we rely on them having some sort of chemistry to rope us in and get invested in the story not even that it's star power and yeah exactly when it comes down to the the pure financial reality of it yeah it's like it's just the two stars yeah 
Yeah. But then it's I like mean, you it's don't good. give them good lines, you don't give them comical scenes, you don't give us a story or a premise worth investing in. So now we're just relying on them magically having chemistry, which thank God at least Richard Gere and Julia Roberts obviously do have a little bit of on-screen chemistry. But then yes. that's it. That's what you're writing on? They have a little bit of on-screen chemistry, but at the same time, they try to show all their on-screen chemistry through looks, as I mentioned, and just like, you know, the the extended, you know, look at the other person like, oh, oh my gosh, I don't know how, how I'm feeling these feelings, the, the that feeling the feelings look that. You know, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere always get. Which they did have a couple very sultry fucking vibing moments in this movie. But, like, then you got to back it up with some other stuff. Like, I can't, yeah, just, uh, can't give that only that to me. Yeah, because, I mean, going back to the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days example, I mean, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson, that was basically why they were brought in. It was like, hey, you two be hot together. Right. And do hot things as a couple together, you know? But at the same time, their characters were also, were one, given friends that they were able to talk to. And, you know, like, and they actually, the conversations actually pushed the narrative together instead of trying to just crack jokes. Right. Right. Yeah. It helped tell the story. It was comedic while also, like, helping move the plot along. Yeah, and then, yeah, just like, it's those things that are just missing out of this. Like, whenever there's like a plot or any sort of story moving forward or like giving giving the characters anything to like emote or anything real, quote unquote, instead of giving that to them, they just went for slapstick comedy in Runaway Bride. Or in Pretty Woman, they went for a sultry, sexy scene because it was rated R. Mm-hmm. But like in this film, it was just like, oh, uh, I don't know how to end the scene. Let's um, let's have Julia Roberts play with the bell for like ten minutes in the che- in the church. Or we, we haven't we haven't had a comedic scene with Julia Roberts in a while showing how aloof and um, untamable she is. Let's have her blowing a bubble in her wedding dress while standing in front of a rotating fan. That'll be yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, pointless scene. We haven't... Funny, but pointless. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, they're going to get married. And now, even though they've spent the last day and a half being in love with each other, She's at the church afraid that he's not going to show up. Oh my God, he's there. And I'm going to scream. Oh my God, he's here. Oh my God, he's here. And be really excited that he showed up, even though there was, there were no stakes or no, like, no, like slant that he would not show up. That's, you just said something that triggered. That's something we've talked about before. And, is so fucking right on about this movie and probably many of the other movies we reviewed recently. The stakes. That's what's missing. There's nothing about this romance, this, this story about these two people that is making me like 
invested in it in a way that I'm like, oh my God, the stakes are high. I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. I got to see this through. Like, come on. There's nothing making me fucking root for them. We've talked about yeah. that so many times before. The stakes have to be there. If you're, if, if this is a romance worth making a fucking movie about, then it better goddamn have some stakes. It was like Gary Marshall it just seemed like with these two movies, this and pretty woman that they, that he was just like root for Julia and Richard. And it's just like, no, 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 no. You have to make like you and the plot have to make me root for the actual characters, not the actors on the screen. Like I'm not, you and, know, and, and speaking of the fucking characters, they're not worth rooting for. Exactly. Ike is introduced as a fucking shithead who writes columns half-assedly and is really cocky about his work. And then Maggie just seems like kind of a Karen, like an aloof (laughs) Karen who like doesn't know her power of flirting and also gets like, you know, gets written about nationally about her exploits romantically and then has the nerve to just write a response and then calls for the guy's job just because her like personal business got put out there. But it's not really that personal because they were a bunch of fucking guests in a whole fucking town who knows your business already, idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's your that is your sphere of influence. That's your These world. are the two protagonists of the film. <laughs> just, and, what? And- and so wouldn't you expect that over the course of the film, okay, so we start off with these two horrible, flawed characters. Maybe by the end of the film, we see both of them evolve and change and grow and become better people and therefore deserve each other. Do we see that? Do we ever see either of them actually change? We see her magically somehow just get over running out on a wedding because she finally shows up and gives like one little tiny kind of a speech to Richard Gere. And do we ever see Richard Gere's character, Ike demonstrate any sort of growth other than just like proposing to her in the fucking heat of the moment after knowing her for what? 36 fucking hours. Yeah. After following her around and knowing her for basically a week, he falls in love with her. He, he falls in love. And yeah. after, after and making then, out with her on her fucking rehearsal dinner night, like <laughs> in well, front of her husband to be like, Jesus, it was a rehearsal before the rehearsal. But yes, like what about any of that makes me want to root for these people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's quickly talk about Joan Cusack Cusack real quick like she is worth a mention she was the saving grace of this movie she had some really good lines I still love the joke you know the morning radio show wake up with phlegm still a still a banger of a joke love it we'll continue what was, what was his what was the host's name even like ryan F- fleming or something uh, Corey fleming Corey fleming yeah haven't you heard his morning cock show wake up with phlegm 
uh, yeah, he's a sports radio talk, sports radio show host. Yet, you know, you might have heard his morning show, uh, "Waking Up with Fun." Um, uh, and I mean, and then on top of that, the way that she plays being annoyed by Maggie's relationship with Corey, but still being a supportive friend. She's just like, she's an A plus friend as a character. Yeah. I kind of want to see a rom-com about her. Like that'd be a much more interesting story than this fucking thing. I mean, her story at this point would basically be Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman's. God damn, that's depressing. Exactly. She's already married. It's all downhill from there. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's a wonder why you're still single. I know. I don't think I don't get either. Um, pandemic man pandemic yeah totally pandemic totally the only okay. reason pandemic, pandemic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah other than that uh i mean we talked about christopher maloney uh, one other thing that annoys me about this film is that they just they keep revealing things about the characters in layers like this again is one of those like they don't reveal everything about the character and the further you get in the movie the more you learn about them you know like maggie's dad is a fucking drunk (laughs) like (laughs) and it's just like oh you know what that would have been nice to know and then what happens ike while he's driving maggie around to kind of take some steam off from picking up her drunk dad again he tells her about his dad issues and it's like okay so we got to the dad issues like we did in Pretty Woman. These would be good to know at the beginning because it makes it makes a character relatable and sympathetic. And when they're relatable and sympathetic, what do you want to do for them as a human being? Root for their successes and happiness. Exactly. But no, we get that an hour to an hour and 15 in to this motherfucker. And, and I get like if you want to if you want to stave that off a little bit and like set up that he's a fucking douchebag right away and then have us change our minds about him. That's fine. Maybe do it like 20 minutes into the movie though, not fucking hour or over halfway into the fucking storyline where like he fucking proposes five minutes later into the movie. Like you gotta like ease us into it and give us a reason to root for him before they're ever like, really a possibility because because by the time we get to the point where things tip which i guess maybe is like the the moment where they kiss in the rehearsal the rehearsal before the rehearsal Mm. like at that point i'm not rooting for either of them especially not him so when that happens i'm like all right fuck this movie like i give up like i I hate everything now like i I slightly agree. I don't necessarily think it's timing. I mean, I did just mention that it's like an hour in the movie. You do this. Like, I think it's more of execution more than timing. That That's the issue here. It's just uh, having him be a, a sexist, you know, prick with a column who half asses his columns based on what some drunk told him. And it's all because he works for his ex-wife as who's his editor yeah it's just like 
you have to fill that blank in. Like they don't give you that. You have to fill that blank in that he's working for his ex-wife and that's probably the source of his consternation and why he's such a prick in his column. But at the same time, I have to jump to that conclusion. It's not set out for, it's not set out for me. You haven't told me that. And I'm not sure I'm correct on it. I just think that's the best guess as to why he's such a prick. Well, if if that's not the reason for it, I don't see a reason for it. That's kind of, now that you bring that up, that's kind of a, another pointless part of the storyline. Like why does he need to work for his ex-wife who is now married to his name? To the guy who basically tells him as a freelancer, like that he'll get him, he'll yeah. get his story, you know, vindication, and you know, someone will buy the story and he'll make sure of it and help him out. Like, like what are you are you setting up just because the irony that it's his like his replacement in the marriage to his ex that is is actually helping him out kind of thing? Okay, cool. He doesn't need to work for his ex, like. He well, he I has to work for his ex because setup. working for his ex, who's also in a, a successful remarriage, that adds to his character being such a dick. Like I get the choice; it's just done badly. Yeah, like yeah. not working, not way. working under her means he doesn't have a constant reminder of her, which means his his behavior is a little bit more of a stretch. But him having a constant reminder of her now happiness makes his behavior a lot more understandable, even if it is still unpalatable. Does it really make it that understandable, though? Like, yes, you're, you're like if you if your ex dude work, go work this, somewhere else. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, if you're that if you're that miserable then change it for fuck's sake. You're the one choosing to work there under your ex. Like for fuck's sake, I've gotten out of relationships shorter than that marriage that I didn't ever want to see the person again or be reminded of the person again, let alone work with the person again. And here he is just letting himself rot away, constantly reminded of a failed marriage. Yeah. And then oddly, they're also friends. But the end of the movie and it's just like so what is this relationship like i i would get it if this was the reason why he was doing this like he was writing this crazy shit and he decided to go in on this girl randomly that he doesn't know the runaway bride in a national column like that all checks out except for the fact that he's still friends with his ex-wife and his friend and it's just like, you know, just a, a messy writer's block and some feelings yeah. he probably needs to talk to a therapist about and hasn't yet is the reason why this whole movie starts. <laughs> I think they both do. That's the whole, like, that's that's really what needs to happen. And then she obviously writes back the letter because she's sick and tired of being the butt of the jokes for her Right. Past mistakes and constantly being reminded of her past mistakes, which then leads to her guilt, which then leads to her mysterious nature because she's so reserved and pulled back. And so everyone wants to save her and, you know, be the one that 
you know, be the one that's the one that others haven't been. So now it's a little bit of a challenge for some of the guys. So then she draws these alpha dudes who she submits to until she gets to the altar. And then she fucking retracts and runs away because she realizes that she didn't really choose this. She just kind of accepted it. And she never really invested enough time finding out what she is and who Who she she is is and what she likes and everything else. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and- yeah, but see, you're focusing on exactly what they should have focused on as a storyteller. Yeah, you're all of you're this, focusing on the broader of- themes, on like the, the the more conceptual ideas that more people, a broader audience, can relate to. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like the, all of this are like yeah, this is what actually makes a good story for a, a rom com. All of this sounds pretty good to set up a movie with. All of this has been inferred and by me as I filled in the blanks of this film because none of it was actually told to us. We yep. just kind of had to guess at it. Because those those are good messages. Those are good things to think about as an audience. Like, yeah, there are people that have struggled with who they are as an identity and as a person. And and it comes back to bite them in the ass in a relationship. There are people out there that, that are bitter about their current situation that take it out on the exterior world before finding out what really the root cause is. You know, like those are more broader concepts that more people can relate to. Like I have to take Maggie's decision to write the letter and response in minute 15 of the film and her response to all the roasts at the luau at hour at an hour thirty in the movie, and put those two events together and come up with the uh, the re- conclusion that hey, her past mistakes of running away from these weddings has caused her to be so defensive about herself. And it's like, oh, okay, so this connects to this connects to this. I would like that puzzle at the beginning of the film. So that I can see how it looks solved at the end of the film. Instead, we just get all the puzzle pieces at the beginning and then they show us the picture at the end. And then we have to put the pieces together after the film. It's just like, no, no, no. We need to complete the puzzle during the film. Well, not even not even complete the puzzle, but like at least like help us out with it. You know, like you can't just like show us the box and then be like, all right, do it. Make that. No, they're not right. even showing the box. That's the thing. They're yeah, not they're showing not. us the picture. They're just literally like, here's some quarter pieces. <laughs> here's some middle pieces. Yeah. And like, you're not even getting all the quarter pieces. And you're not even getting all the middle pieces. So you're not even sit sure. Down, sit down at the table with us and, and help us out. Like, be an equal participant, you know. Yeah. I, it's totally right. Like, it, 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 it's... It's we were exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, we had to pause it. Yeah, we had to keep pausing it. There was remember there was like what was it thirty minutes in? We both paused and we're like, we got it. Can we watch something else? Can we get away with not finishing this movie? Yeah, we almost didn't finish the movie. Almost didn't finish the fucking movie. Called an audible without letting people letting the tens and tens of listeners know. It's like. It's exhausting when it, when it's, I don't mind inferring things about movies. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a child. I don't need to be told every 
specific detail. I want to let my imagination fill in some of the blanks, but you got to do it in a way that allows you to fill in the right blanks. They're filling in the blanks that we don't need to fill in, like specifics about their their characters and specifics about the situation and the premise and everything. And it's like, no, those can be kept vague because those are going to be different for every person that's viewing it. It's like a it's like a work of art, you know. It's just like any work of art. You got to fill in some of the blanks as in as the interpreter, and as the artist you have to fill in some of the blanks in your medium. There's, you got to meet halfway or if you're hitch, you got to meet 90, 10. This, I don't know what the fuck percentage this is negative. Like the most, this movie drew us in was just to fill in the blanks. I think <laughs> that was the most it drew us into the plot. It was just to sit there and figure out the fucking mystery that was never worth solving. Yeah. I, for me, it was because I saw this movie in theaters when it first came out, because as I talked about my mom and my two sisters love the film. It was actually my sister, Rebecca, who was the bigger fan of pretty woman. Um, she's eight years older than I, so like she was, you know, like 10 when it came out. And so when it was out on video, she was, you know, when she was like a tween slash early teen, she would always watch pretty woman. That's why I remembered it because of, we were the closest in age. So she would watch me. Mm. And so she would always replay certain parts and she loved certain parts. And so she would rewatch those parts. And that's why. That I, like I actually FaceTimed with both my sisters uh, earlier this week. And then she was the one who was like all about it when we were talking. I'm like, Oh, it was you. It wasn't like my mom or my sister, Monica. It was my youngest older sister, Rebecca, who's been on the show. Um, shout out to her. That's right. Um, and so, yeah. And uh, like, so I remember seeing this with my mom in theaters and runaway bride and my mom was just like at the end of it she just kind of was like it was okay <laughs> like yeah. she she just like shrugged her shoulders to it like she didn't quite get <laughs> what they were trying to do and she was like i wasn't a huge fan of it <laughs> like well, she wasn't off yeah and it was just i i get why it was just they're trying it felt like they were also trying to create more iconic scenes between Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, like Julia Roberts riding a, riding a horse or, uh, you know, Julia Roberts being are on the sled when the football team is blocking it and she's moving and laughing, you know, and this and that and the other. And it's just like, they were obviously just, there were shots in the movie that they were literally just trying to do just for how they looked and because Julie Roberts was in it. And it wasn't that it served a purpose in the film or to the plot or anything else because it didn't. It, it felt like there's about 70 minutes of plot and they made this two hours because they're just trying to find shots that well, you're, look like you're generous look like for giving it. You're generous for giving it 70 minutes. 
well, it was all narrative that they were when they tried to move the plot forward. It was all narrative. There was nothing. There was no subtext or you know any any other sort of setup. It was all narrative. It was just like, well, here's what happens next. It's like a narrator narrator literally saying, and then this happened, and then, then this happened. But, but then nothing would actually happen. That's the other problem. It's like you're right. They would set up like, okay, here's the next scene. Here's what's happening next, and then we'd get through it and go, yeah. Okay, so what did that what did that show us? What, again, another well, don't worry about that. Here's the next scene, and then by the end of it, it's like two hours worth of that shit. And it, it, by the end, you're just like, so I just watched a conglomeration of all of these scenes that went nowhere. Like, what what was the end result of this that we were supposed to get to? That they live happily ever after? I'm not getting that. What I will say, though, is much like Pretty Woman, the soundtrack for this film is pretty fucking dope, though. <laughs> the soundtrack was decent, yeah. It was okay. I still, I, I don't remember nearly as many songs as I do from uh Well, I pretty still Woman. haven't found what I'm looking for. Started off the film. I thought that was pretty good. Right. Even though it was just her riding a, a horse. <laughs> um, and then... Also, there was Maneater by Hall & Oates when he's driving into the... It was on the nose, but I thought it worked. I mean, the whole uh, soundtrack was kind of on the nose. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and she's slow motion riding away from her own wedding on a horse. Like, Yeah. Uh, Blue Eyes Blue by Eric Clapton, which... It's not a good song, I just, but I don't know why. I just dig the... It was you, it was you who made this blue eyes blue. Uh, I don't know why I dig it. Um, on the soundtrack, but not in the movie, was is the song you sang to me by Mark Anthony, uh, like the <laughs> Latino, <laughs> the Latino popularization of soft rock in the late '90s and early 2000s was. I'm all about it. Uh, and oh then, yeah, Love and then of course, Ricky Martin. The yeah, he had uh, "Living La Vida Loca," but also he had a "She's All I Ever Had." Which, you know, it's funny because there was never really a she. In- <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last bit, though, was the jazz song by Miles Davis, the Miles Davis oh. Quartet. I never entered my mind, which they play on the film. And they play at the end when they show them on the balcony dancing and then they show the wedding happening out in the middle of nowhere. That was another little positive nugget of the movie was the the integration of Miles Davis at yeah. several times. Like that was, was a nice the, little bonus. It was the second best use of it never entered my mind in a television or movie that I've seen. The first being there's a show on Amazon. Plus, I think they only did one season. They've only done one season. I think they'll probably only do one season, but it was called Forever, uh, starring Fred Armisen and uh, Maya Rudolph. Mm. And the it shows Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph. They're married in the show. And there's this montage at the beginning of the first episode. Uh, it, it just... It, 
starts with it never entered my mind and it shows the montage of them like meeting to like getting married and then just their marriage as it continues on and the fact that they've hit this very like they've hit a, a routine like a run mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just showed throughout the song like them just slowly becoming more and more monotonous and less and less feeling with each other mm. and it, it's just it works so well because that song ha- is very melancholy sounding but also very beautiful so like you can yeah like it's it's right on the knife's edge of this you know beauty and also but like the sadness and you know and also yeah. it never entered my mind is a great title for a montage about a marriage becoming routine and slowly you know losing its spark so what you're could describing, not it could never enter it could be one of those things that never entered your mind you know what you're describing is all of the emotional attachment to said montage that should have been in this movie yeah, and then or this movie just been. had them there dancing to it because Miles Davis is a famous jazz musician and it shows that you've got depth. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's go to the kiss of the film. Um, what, the rehearsal kiss? It's the rehearsal kiss, unfortunately. Jesus. Yes. F. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first one I've given that grade to. F. Terrible. Uh, They're not even good I, kissers in it. They're not. They're not. I'm going to be honest. When their Don't lips actually met, me. I closed my eyes and looked away because I was and I and I. I mean, you heard me on the mic. I was screaming. I was just like, "No!" Yeah, I I I yelled too. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck?" Because it like because they're gazing at each other for so long. Okay, they're standing just. They're standing at the altar, right? I mean, it's not yeah. the altar, but like, it's, yeah, it's like, they're standing there. They're just like gazing into each other's eyes for so long, like slowly leaning closer and closer and closer. So you're like, for some reason, my mind didn't go there and it was like, well, they're not going to kiss. Like it never even registered that that was a possibility in the moment. I'm just like, would you guys stop falling for each other? Because there's like, there's barely even a lead up to this scene either. There's a couple like smoldering looks. They have some deeper talks. There's not a whole lot of like romantic buildup. And then they get to this fucking scene. And all of a sudden they're fucking kissing, rehearsing on the altar in front of her husband to be like, it's fucking mind blowing. And it wasn't even that good a kiss. Fucking F bitches. Fuck that. F or fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about it is I like I there's the whole eye contact thing and then Bob even says that to uh, Ike on the wedding day the first attempt and then when the eye contact is broken is when she decides to run away. And like, as if there's some goddamn magical spell with the eye contact. Yeah. And so when they, when they make eye contact at the altar, all of a sudden all the feelings just magically come together as they like, can't help, but 
make their lips touch and a oh, kiss. That's what they're alluding to. Oh Jesus! Like that's the thing. That's the thing about all of these Gary Marshall films that, like, they just expect you to be like the main characters in that nothing else needs to be explained because there's that magic. Then you need to give me a main character that I can actually put myself in the shoes of. No, you need to not rely on fucking magic. Is what you need to do. You need to actually. Like well, that I mean that too, but that that's where like going back to the beginning where we were talking about like balancing the two. Like if you're gonna give me some fantastical shit happening, then give me at least a character worth relating to, someone I can actually like, or like you try said, to imagine and suspend my disbelief for a moment. Or like you said, like earlier when we first talked about premises off before we started recording, you know go full bore with the magical realism or realism and you know like the princess bride right you know right. all accept magic as the answer when you know we have jokes about you know wesley having the antidote to the poison so it didn't matter which cup of wine he drank at the end with right. Wallace Shawn's character you know we'll take all that and we'll take the magic of their love overcoming things you know, because that we live in a fantasy world here in this film. You're trying to set this film up as something that could realistically happen, even though it would never realistically happen. And yeah. then you're trying to use fantastical elements when you still insist on realism in this, like your love letter to Americana. And it, it, it just felt like a love letter to Americana from a New Yorker as well, which fell off. Like, yeah. This is, I so what happens after or after? <laughs> yeah, let's just just take it. Wait, uh, wait, wait. What, way, was your, what was I your what was your official grade? Kiss anyway. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, just uh, I can't, I can't, I, I can't, can't buy into can't. the magic thing. No, like no. Nope. I I still feel like that that scene makes sense for this film. I just don't have to like it. So yep. yeah. Yep. Um. As far as what happens after ever after, I mean, I I don't see them staying together. I don't either. Uh, uh, well, no, actually, the romantic in me, I I do, I do, honestly. Why? Well, I, I feel like for they, each other kind of thing. They found something in each other, and and they're both what they each, found, they're what they both found each, in each other's other kind of themselves. fucked up. They're, they're they're both each other's kind of fucked up. <laughs> they found themselves, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, but like exactly, like you have that storyline where it's like they they both you have these two people that are both struggling to find who they really are, and worse, they don't even know that they are struggling. And yeah, and, we get maybe five to 10 minutes of the movies of the two hour movie spent on, on that. Yeah. And I feel like, like that's right there. That's what your focus should have been because that is a relatable concept. Yeah. And then you, you let the audience fill in the more specific blanks. Like, you know, I'm not saying you don't give them a, a job, but like, you know, profession or something, you, you focus less on those things. 
they get mentioned or they get brought up or something, but they're not the fucking focus of the story. It's like we're told to focus on things that don't need to be focused on and then also blindly hoped that we'll fill in the blanks of the actual romantic storyline. So, yep. I we keep going around in circles. We said the same thing over and over and over. I mean, really uh, like I was just going to let you keep going. You obviously had more to say. Uh I'm I'm good. Not on, on this. Let's, let's prepare to leave Gary Marshall in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I killed the movie. How about you? I'd kill it. All right. So this movie has made our shit list. Yes. Uh, Pretty Woman did not. Uh, but uh, New Year's Eve did. So we have two Good. Gary Marshall films on our shit list. There we go. Congratulations, Scary Marshall. May you never annoy us with your movies again. He's two for four, too. He's batting 500 in our league. Yeah, and I know he passed away, and so he won't direct another film that we'll see. But nonetheless, that sentiment still stands. All right. So you can find our socials uh, at Bromancing the Stone Podcast on Instagram. So at Bromancing the Stone Podcast on Twitter at Bro the Stone Pod. That's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Supermarket Sweep, and that's without the E in Super. S U P R Market Sweep. And then on Instagram, I'm at Relusa88, and that's R E L U S A A 8. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. And on Inst- or on um, Twitter, you can find me at the Lionhearted with an underscore T H E underscore L Y O N H E A R T E D. Perfecto. And then Max, it is your choice next week for a film. Well, what it only makes sense to keep going with you know a '90s theme, and it only makes sense to keep going with Gary Marshall too. Which is why we're not doing either of those things. Fuck both of those things. We're done with this shit. So we're skipping way the fuck ahead. And yeah, I didn't believe any of those either. But that's I don't we talked about it beforehand. I don't know if this is a Netflix movie or not specifically. I think it was, but either way, it's recent. It's called The Perfect Date. <laughs> it is a Netflix movie. Is it okay? Yes. Uh, yes, it is a Netflix movie starring uh, Noah Centineo. Sure. It's, I believe it's C-E-N-T-I-N-E-O is his name. But, yeah. He uh, he of the To All the Boys I've Loved Before fame. Um, mm. But, yes. Another also, one we have, we have to do. Yeah, so... And that's something that we'll definitely do down the road. But yes, so the perfect date. I've seen it before. I enjoyed it. Um, Same I, here. And I also, uh, I believe there's a few bangers on this film too, as far as soundtrack is concerned. So we're going to keep the bangers for the soundtrack involved. There as might well, just be. Good. And that probably is the only takeaway worth continuing from the stretch we've been on. So. <laughs> So one last time, 
uh, to the Gary Marshall films that we've watched. I look forward to never watching you again. <laughs> and to the tens and tens of listeners, we appreciate y'all for listening. We thank y'all. And we will catch you next week where we will hopefully say good things about a film. And I I predict we will. <laughs> yes. Adios, y'all. Love you guys. Stay safe.